Now, would you turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Matthew and chapter 6? Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us uh, from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father uh, forgive your trespasses. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of His Word. So you remember over the summer months, we have been uh, looking at what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And in this prayer, Jesus is providing a pattern, a skeleton by which we might order our prayers. It's a teaching tool. Rather than giving us words to recite, uh, it's, uh, the Lord is providing us uh, with a tool uh, that we might use when it comes to this very difficult discipline of prayer. And he tells us, he begins by telling us that when we pray, pause long enough in God's presence to remember the God it is to whom you come, the God of heaven. And what is your relationship with him? Our Father. So you approach him reverently. He is in heaven. You preach him, uh, you approach him intimately. He is your Father, and because of that, you can approach Him confidently because He is our Father in heaven, and uh, He is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And then after pausing in His presence, the first three petitions have to do with God's purposes, His name, His kingdom, and His will, that His name will be hallowed, set apart, that means sanctified, will be glorified, that His kingdom uh, will come, that men and women, boys and girls, will be converted and brought under the kingly rule uh, of God, and that His will will be carried out here on earth just as it is in heaven. And then after praying about God's concerns, we then, and only then, turn to our own needs. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. Our most basic need as Christians is the need for bread. It's not the most important need, but it is the most basic need. You cannot walk with God and do the will of God and be involved in the work of God unless physical life is sustained. So first comes the most basic need, the most fundamental need of physical sustenance. But little comfort will come to the Christian who has his physical needs met but must go about with his conscience clouded uh, by uh, sin. So secondly, our Lord teaches us that daily we should keep our consciences clean by the blood of Christ, by praying, Father, forgive them. Uh, Father, forgive us our, uh, our, our debts. Now, if you have bread upon your table to meet your basic physical needs and you can face the day with a, a clear conscience, only one other thing is needed, and that's grace to take you through that day uh, by the power of the Spirit so you will not incur any further debt to stain your conscience, and you can live a life 
pleasing to God. And so finally, our Lord teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in this final petition, we're acknowledging four things to God in prayer. We're acknowledging the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man, the reality of the devil, and our dependence upon God, the sovereignty of God. In this petition, we acknowledge that God is sovereign even in the realm of temptation. I should say that in the Greek language, the word for trial and the word for temptation are exactly the same, and it depends on the context uh, how you translate it. And there are some commentators who come uh, to this verse and think that it would be inappropriate uh, and would never uh, happen for God to actually lead us into the place of temptation. And so they translate it, deliver us from trials or deliver us from difficulties. But I think our versions are right in translating it as temptation because uh, in uh, Jewish thought and in uh, Hebrew literature, there is such a thing as called uh, parallelism. You see it again and again in Proverbs. You see it in Psalms. You see it in the teaching of Jesus. It's equivalent to an explanation mark. In order to make a point and to make it firmly that you state one truth and then you come in with a, another truth, and you say the same thing in a slightly different uh, format or in a slightly different way. So when our Lord teaches us to pray, lead us not into trials or temptations, but deliver us from evil, it's obvious then that the, the, the first thing is not a, a simply a trial, but it is a temptation. We're being delivered uh, from uh, evil. And if you turn back just a few pages in your Bible uh, to uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, you actually see that God, by His Spirit, does at times lead into temptation. Look at verse four, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to uh, be tempted by the devil. Now, I'm not saying that God entices or seduces anyone uh, to evil. James makes that point in chapter 1 and verse 3 of his epistle, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But you see, there's a world of difference between tempting someone and allowing them to be tempted. And sometimes God in His mercy allows us to be tempted so that we learn by resisting the devil to become stronger in our faith and rely more heavily upon God. And what our Lord is teaching us here is that we might ask God never to place us in a situation where the temptation is so strong that we succumb to its evil. Now, if God is not the God who holds even the devil and the powers of darkness at his fingertips, then this prayer is meaningless. How can I pray that God will keep me from temptation, those inducements to evil that bombard me daily from the world of flesh and the devil, uh, unless I believe that those circumstances that give rise to those temptations are under His control. 
that, as Paul says in Ephesians, that God who raised Christ from the dead far above authority, power, and dominion, and placed all things under his feet, and made him to be head over everything for the church, that that uh, includes the devil and his temptations. I think the best commentary on this is 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. If you just want to flick over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may not be, uh, that you may be able to endure it. If He doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able to bear, then He must exercise authority over the devil to restrict the devil and his evil activities. We have a real-life example of this in the life of Peter recorded for us in Luke 22 and verse 31. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not utterly fail, and when you turn back, strengthen the brothers. Do you see that? The, The devil couldn't touch the child of God. Without the permission of God, Satan has asked. The authorized version says desired. The ESV says demanded. He has demanded to sift you as wheat. And there's going to be a little of the relinquishing of that hedge of protection around you, and he is going to be allowed to touch you. And when you are turned back, strengthen the brothers. That, that even the devil is under the control of God. That's why Luther dared to refer to Satan as God's devil. Now, I don't want to underestimate the power of the devil, but I'm convinced that many Christians have far too big a devil and far too small a God. If you have a God who hasn't the powers of darkness under his control, you cannot pray this petition. Because in this petition, you're acknowledging the sovereign power of God even over the devil. The second thing I want you to notice is the depravity of man. When we pray this petition, we're acknowledging that our natures are basically corrupt and depraved. Now, remember, it is a Christian who is praying because only the Christian can pray, Our Father who is in heaven. But even as a Christian, I am acknowledging that there's something in me that is prone to sin and temptation, prone to wonder, God, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. When the Christian prays, lead me not into temptation, he is acknowledging that when he is placed in certain situations, he will be tempted by sin. He is acknowledging that his heart is a tinderbox, and the tiniest little spark can set it into a raging fire that will burst out in lust and passion, anger, greed, and pride. That he will, can be overtaken by that sin. When he prays this petition, he is acknowledging what his heart is really like. 
Or as Robert Murray McShane put it, that within his own heart, the seeds, the germs of every known sin under heaven uh, can be found. I can never understand professing Christians who seem so shocked when they hear of the sins of other people. They hear of a professing Christian who has brought dishonor on the Lord, perhaps by a moral lapse or uh, by uh, losing their temper or being overtaken by covetousness, and they looked so shocked and horrified. And I, I wonder, have such people actually seen or understood their own hearts? When you really know and understand your heart, you realize that the, it's only by the grace of God that, uh, that you have not fallen into sin because the seeds of every sin lie within you. And that's why you pray continually, lead us not into temptation. We acknowledge that within our hearts there is a negative polarity and there is a positive, uh, and in every temptation there is a positive uh, polarity. And just as in the magnetic field or the electrical field, the negative and positive attract each other, so our hearts are inextricably drawn to sin. We acknowledge, oh God, there is something in me that wants to respond to this temptation. Keep me from a place where I would respond. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, if anyone thinks he stands... Take heed lest he falls. You see, Paul has just been describing some of the terrible sins of the the people of Israel, and it's almost as if he imagines the the Corinthians looking down their snooty pride noses, hand over uh, their their mouth in a look of absolute shock, saying, Tut, tut, tut. That's, That's just terrible. And Paul breaks into that complacency, and he says, if anyone, if any man thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And Isaiah stood in the light of the burning countenance of God. He cried, woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah wasn't a womanizer. He wasn't a cheat. He wasn't a drunkard. He was a prophet of God, but he realized that even through his lips that he had sinned against God, maybe by failing to say something that he should have said as a prophet or saying something that was uh, inappropriate and unacceptable and taking the teaching of Jesus that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the words of his mouth revealed what was really in his heart. And when God shows us the stuff of what we're made, we get great comfort in praying, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Now, of course, temptations in themselves are not sin. We know that because our Lord was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet He was without sin. So, temptations are not in themselves a sin. It's when we yield to those temptations and give in to those temptations that we actually see as uh, sin. But but there are some Christians, you see, who, who want to live as close to the edge as they possibly can get without yielding, enjoying the temptation, but without yielding uh, to, to sin. Um, I was laughing earlier when 
Harry was up here, you know, and he was running around. And, and grace brought him down, you know, when he started to walk across the communion. And then when he was put back up, he, he just put one foot. <laughs> just one, one foot on the communion chair. One foot. Well, isn't that how we live? We want to get as close to the sin as possible without actually sinning. Uh, when rather we should be doing a Joseph and dropping our cloak and getting out of the seductive advances of Potiphar's wife as quickly as we could. So we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man. Thirdly, the reality of the devil. Jesus teaches us to pray, uh, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you're using the NIV, you'll notice a, a little difference there because the NIV says, deliver us from the evil one, whereas the authorized version and the ESV say, deliver us from evil. And the reason the NIV translates it as the evil one is that there is a definite article in Greek. So it's not just deliver us from evil, but just deliver us from uh, the evil. The evil. Added to that, and I don't want to be complicated this morning, but in Greek you have masculine words, feminine words, and neuter words, neut neutral words. And evil normally is a, is a neuter word, but here in the text it's, it's rendered a masculine, it has a masculine ending, it's a masculine word. And so I think the NIV, because of the definite article and because of the, the, the masculine, masculine use um, or um, reference in, in, in evil, it should be translated as the evil one. The same phrase appears in Matthew 13 and verse 19 where it's translated, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, not just evil, but the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was sown in his heart. That the evil refers to the embodiment of evil, the devil himself. And I do think the NIV is right in that, deliver us from the evil one. So in this prayer, we are acknowledging the presence uh, of a personal devil and his present evil activity. That behind all the wickedness and rebellion in this world uh, that causes unregenerate man, men to, to uh, erupt in wickedness and causes the uh, uh, believers to stumble and fall. There is a personal devil who is the embodiment of all wickedness and evil. At uh, the new year, I sent out a link to... Um, a little podcast by Sinclair Ferguson, and I, I know there are a number of people that actually listen to that podcast, it's only a few minutes each day, but no, so I have to name my sources. This comes from Sinclair Ferguson, and I hadn't understood this, or I hadn't seen this before, but he talks about the end of Romans 8. You have four questions. Who can be against us? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who is he that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who, 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 who? For whose? And then he goes on to describe the things that might separate us. Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he simply made the point, and I, th I think it's a, it's a great point, 
that behind the wall, those things that would trip us up and discourage us and, uh, and uh, cause us to stumble, there lies not a what, but a who, a personal devil. If you're a Christian, you have a great enemy, the devil who wants to devour you um, and, and, and cause you to stumble. Peter writes to Christians, and he says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We love to sing that song, the Lion of Judah, because Christ is strong, he's majestic, he's the defender, he's the protector of his people. But we have another lion, a lion who seeks to devour us, to consume us, and cause us to stumble. You know, when Paul, in that masterful section in Ephesians chapter 6, talks about this spiritual um, battle that we're in and likens the Christian to a soldier, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the dark forces of darkness in this world. Paul, Paul, you're mixing your metaphors. You've been talking about a soldier, and you've been talking about an army, and now you're talking about wrestling. I think he deliberately does that because wrestling is hand-to-hand, one-to-one combat. And if you're a Christian, the devil is out to trip you up and cause you to stumble. That as a child of God, the devil is determined in one way or another to bring reproach on the name of our God by scandalizing our testimonies so that we will be rendered ineffective in rescuing others from his clutches. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that you're in the devil's sights and you're of a personal interest to the devil? That through his deceitful workings, he is determined to trip you up. That in the eyes of men, you may be no more than a pharisaical hypocrite. Thomas Manton says in his commentary on the Lord's Prayer, a man is never in more danger when he thinks he's in no danger. And when we pray this petition, we are acknowledging the personal conflict that we're in, that the enemy of our souls is there to, to, and is determined to cause us to stumble. No theology that removes the reality of the conflict, the wrestling, the striving, the resisting, is true to Scripture. This concept that um, Chris, through Christian victory, you can sort of, by living a victorious life, you can enter into a higher plane of Christian living and enter like a, a spiritual kind of nirvana where there's no struggle, no fight, no battle as far into the Bible, that through a second experience that you can be lifted onto a higher plane of Christian living. It's just not true. When I get on my knees and pray as instructed here by Jesus, deliver me from the evil one, I'm acknowledging there's a devil out to get me who's trying to render me ineffective as a Christian by causing me to fall. So in this petition, we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man, the reality of the devil, and fourthly and finally, my absolute dependence upon God. When I pray this prayer, I'm saying, O Lord, left to myself, I am no match 
for the evil one. He's been in this business for thousands of years of deluding and damning the souls of unregenerate men and tripping up and marring the lives of the children of God. And as I bow before you, I acknowledge that I am no match for him. And I cry out to you, O God, from the depths of my heart, deliver me from his clutches. I think there's a wonderful analogy to this uh, in terms of the shepherd and the sheep. Do you remember that incident in Luke, or, uh, sorry, in 1 Samuel 17 when David records how he was tending his sheep and a lion came into the midst of the sheep to take one of them, to devour one of them? But the moment that ravenous animal entered the circle of the shepherd's care and concern. It no longer was an issue between the sheep and the lion, but it became an, an issue between uh, David and the lion. And David took that wild, carnivorous animal, and with his bare hands, he killed it. What a beautiful picture of our risen Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The devil is that roaring Lying, lions seeking whom he may devour. Sheep are helpless. They're defenseless. You remember Margaret Thatcher referred to her uh, foreign secretary, uh, Jeffrey High, as, uh, as when, when he criticized her. It was like being ravished by a sheep. Sheep are gentle by nature. They're, they're defenseless. But our great shepherd comes to our aid, and he tramples down the head of the serpent, and uh, through his blood shedding on the cross, he, he delivers us from his clutches. That's what I'm acknowledging in this petition, my absolute dependence on him. I cannot defeat the devil without his help. That's why I cry, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I need your help. I need your resources because I have a great enemy, but thank God I have a greater God. Now, when we looked at forgive us our debts, we noticed that uh, that request was linked to what had gone previously by the little word, and give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. Now, the same is true of this petition because right at the front of it, we have the little word and, and lead us not into temptation. Just as I need daily bread and daily forgiveness, I need daily help from God to resist the devil. I need daily to pray for deliverance from evil, deliverance from his uh, clutches. It's a lie of the devil himself. Uh, to, uh, con that, that we think that we as established Christians are no longer subject to certain temptations. Continually we need to pray, deliver us from the evil one. We must never drop our guard. We must never drop our defenses. We need daily to cry out for, for help and deliverance. You know that, uh, that old hymn that we used to sing, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each um, victory will help you, some other to win. Do, do you remember that hymn? Nice hymn. Well, there's only one problem. It's not true. 
It's not true. Because each victory doesn't help us with the next battle that we face. It's just not true. It it was that false notion which caused Joshua's armies to lose the battle of Ai after the, the victory of Jericho. The thought after they thought after Jericho, Ai was a piece of cake. That's why Paul writes to the Ephesians and he says, When the evil day, the evil day of temptation comes, that you must stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand, stand and stand again. Never drop your defenses. Never think that you have conquered sin. Never think you have outgrown sin. Never think you have outgrown temptation. Every battle uh, you face is a new day for strength. You need His strength continually. The temptations I faced as a young man are exactly the same temptations I face today. Exactly the same. I must continually then cry to God, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. So I acknowledge four things in this petition, the sovereignty of God, the depravity of man, the reality of the devil, and our absolute dependence upon God. Amen.